Arsenal of Green Club. All kids love log. Tis the podcast log. Yes, log. Of the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog. Oh. Whenever the Star Wars Collector's Archive publishes a new blog, this podcast will log its contents, interview its writers, and go deeper. It's the Kivecast Blog Log Pod. You, sir, are a mouthful. Relax and just take life easy for a little while. Because it only lasts for a little while. It's a uh, number two blog log pod. It's so unlike our usual shows. If this is all you've ever heard, listen to a different episode. This is a quick shot, a one shot, first shot. I'm not even recording this with Steve. I'm actually on Yehuda's couch. Yehuda. Yehuda. Say hi, Yehuda. Hi, Yehuda. That was a bad joke. Uh, Yehuda's good for that. Anyway, it's actually Shabbos, so he shouldn't be talking at all because I'm recording on a material. Shomer Shabbos, and apparently he does roll on Shabbos. So let's get to our interview with Scott Kinney. Cosmic Scott, who is known as one of the producers of the TV show that Steve was a star on. And we actually had a little bit of a blog post in which we talked about the show. We interviewed David Mandel as well. We're going to be interviewing him some other time too. So have a listen to the next blog log pod. And maybe if you're lucky or unlucky, you hear again from this guy. Hey. All right, Steve. Well, we are here joined by the man who magically found you and put you <laughs> in his TV show, Scott Kinney, a producer of Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a, an executive producer, uh, one of the creators of the show. Um, in fact, I, I kind of started the whole thing, but we can get into that into that later. But uh, there's three other, actually four other executive producers on the show as well. You know, our, our podcast is is mostly almost exclusively about vintage Star Wars collectibles, and yeah. um, but we're also interested in collecting in general as kind of like a theme. And I think that your show is the first successful show about collecting I've ever watched. Um, it's not about money. I mean, you hardly ever talk about money on your show. Um, most of the other ones, it's yeah. always like, can you believe how much this is worth? How much that's worth? Um, it's all like narrative based. It's about collectors. And I've even gotten to the fact that Mark Hamill's in it. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the thing that everybody, <laughs> everybody knows that's cool. But even without Mark Hamill, uh, it's just so refreshing, uh, to, to see a show where you really appreciate what a collector is. So, um, I, I cannot recommend it enough. You know, I signed up for the comic, HQ or whatever uh, center. Mm-hmm. How, how do people actually watch it? Because people have been asking me, like, how do I see it? What, what's the way the people should see it, Scott? It's comic. It's comic con hq dot com. And if you just type in comic con hq on Google, it'll it'll probably pop up number one. Um, comic con hq is a streaming network and so you can watch it online you can watch it through amazon prime uh you can get it on your roku box um you know a smart tv things like that amazon fire 
Um, so it's it's a streaming network exactly like Netflix, but it's not <laughs> it's not as big as Netflix. It's <laughs> it's just a startup Netflix. Uh, but it's it's the whole uh, network is is geared around anyone that would go to the San Diego Comic Con would want to watch any of the potentially want to watch any of the original programming or the TV shows, um, the library TV shows and movies that they have on there. So how how did you start it? How did you managed to get a show like this on the air, so to speak? Really, um, I'm a toy collector, and I collect mostly vintage toys. I rarely pick up anything new. Sometimes I do, but uh, it's kind of an obsession, 70s, 80s toys. Um, I really collect my childhood, and my childhood was dominated, you know, by large part uh, by Star Wars from elementary school to through junior high. Sometime in... Actually, I kind of got a little bit early in the 90s. I started collecting toys again, but uh, not seriously, you know, going to KB and picking up Thundercats for 99 cents or three for <laughs> 99 cents or whatever, you know, when they were blowing all that 80s stuff out in the, er- yes. in the early 90s. Well, it's all about uh, KB with you, know, you two guys, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, you know, for a, you know, a guy that was just out of college and, you know, making very little money, I could go to KB and, and get a bag full of toys for like 10 bucks. It was nuts. Yep. <laughs> and and, and where, where, so did, that, where was this? Where where'd you grow up? Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, Tulsa. All right. As, you know, flash forward, you know, or flash back uh, two or three years here, uh, I had seen collecting shows like American Pickers, A Storage Wars, mm-hmm. um, Toy Hunter, th- you know, things like that. And I thought, you know, it'd be neat just to make the show a little bit more geared towards just more of the collector's angle than the um, uh, the guys that, you know, acquire it and sell it angle, which is really, you know, how most of those shows go. Right. Um, and so anyway, I just kind of had this idea. I had written up uh, a proposal, like a pitch. I had been working in Hollywood in the, on the feature film side, uh, working on a bunch of films that never got made. Um, <laughs> we got some set up with studios, but never got not, got to the green light. I actually worked with Mark Guggenheim on on a film, which was uh, he he was a screenwriter, and that was a lot of fun. But anyway, on the TV side, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone in the reality TV world or anything. And a friend of mine, Darren Mormon, uh, independent film producer. We'd become friends, and I just kind of threw this idea out to him about doing a, hey, let's do a toy collecting show or a reality show, but, you know, about toy collecting or whatever. Um, and he said, well, you know, my friend Howard Gazanjian, I was like, Howard Gazanjian? <laughs> I know Matt, who Matt Howard is, you know? Yeah, it's like I already knew who it was when he said that. I, you know, I didn't have to, he didn't have to explain. You know, it's like, yeah. he's the, Producer of Return of the Jedi, and I was like, yes, yes, I know. <laughs> and he said, why? Well, he was my mentor. Uh, I guess Darren grew up uh, near Howard, um, and he Howard kind of mentored Darren in, in the film business. And he said, let's pitch it to my friend Howard. And I was like, yeah, great, you know. So uh, I pitched the show to Howard uh, over the phone, uh, and, you know, Howard liked it and asked me to write up a – you know, kind of a proposal, you know, outline for the show, and I did. And 
we went back and forth on it. Uh, he had ideas, Darren had ideas. And then at, at a certain point, I guess Howard was happy with it and said, you know, I think my friend, uh, Mark Hamill would be a perfect host for the show. <laughs> this and deal gets like, better oh, all the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so it was the opposite Lando Calrissian. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Cause Again, I knew that Mark, not only, you know, that he was, you know, Luke Skywalker and the, and the Joker and a million other animation voices and, and everything else is he, that he's done, I knew that he was a collector. I've known, I'd known that for years. Um, you know, cause I read, you know, I read fan magazines and, I, you know, I'm one of these guys that, um, read Comic, uh, Buyer's Guide and the Comics Journal and all that, all those magazines back in the 80s. Right. You know, had read interviews with people like Mark and, you know, he's a comic, he'd been a comic book collector and he, he was actually a bit of a collector before he even did Star Wars. Right. And a fan of Japanese, um, anime and manga and, and things of that nature. Godzilla, definitely. He's a big Godzilla fan. Uh, and so it was just like the perfect kind of team, uh, you know, came together. Mark was very into the show and he actually drove the show more in the direction of, Let's stay away from any buying or selling. Let's, let's stay away from, you know, the value aspect of it. He's not opposed to someone trying to find out what it's worth or right. the audience, you know, assuming that the audience member would be curious. Well, what's a thing like this worth? Right. Um, we're, we're not opposed to that, but that's not what the whole show's about. It's not the sort of in the, uh, in the world of, um, you know, reality shows that found treasure is a, is a big component of a lot of those shows. And every episode kind of revolves around finding some hidden treasure in this, a barn full of junk. Right. I, I, you know, I think a, whether, yeah, well, I, I think a, a good counterpoint, I sort of think your show is the sort of anti toy hunter. I mean, I like toy hunter. All right. But the first episode of yeah. toy hunter, there's a, a scene where he finds a rocket fet, and in the episode yeah. seven that Steve stars in and David Mandel's in, and we're going to talk to him later. Um, in your episode, you're looking to find a rocket fet, and it's the whole conceit that you came up with is let's find somebody who has one, and yeah, that's fun. And the way that they did it yeah. on Toy Hunter was that he found one in a box across from the Earth Toy Mall in Cincinnati. I, you know, everybody knows that it was put in the box. It, it wasn't actually found. <laughs> it, it was actually purchased yeah. like three weeks before. Um, and you know, and they get to show the rocket fed, and then it's sold at the New York Comic Con. I was actually there when it happened. It was sold to the guy who started uh, Tap Out uh, Clothes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like. It's it's intriguing, but it's kind of empty. Like I, I don't. It's a completely different narrative, <laughs> right? When I originally wanted to do this episode, I wanted to do an episode about toy urban legends. I actually wanted to get into also the uh, I don't know if you remember the the or if you know about it the Wonder Bread He Man. Yeah, thing. right. Yeah it's, yeah, it's mentioned in the show briefly by the puppet yeah. thing. Oh, there's a puppet in the show, by yeah. the way. If you haven't seen it, there's a very cute puppet, which the whole time I, – I know it's not Mark Hamill who does it, but I always think that it must be him and he must be also a ventriloquist. But uh... yeah, well, He wanted to do the voice originally or we had – he had discussed it. Um, you, you know, as people listening to this podcast know, he's done 
hundreds and hundreds of um, voices for animated shows for decades now. I mean, yeah. he's played characters on all kinds, you know, X-Men, Spider-Man, uh, you know, all kinds of Justice League, um, Superman, and he forgets. Like, people will say, you know, you were the voice of such and such. He's like, was I? Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. He's just done so many of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and he actually loves doing them. So he, we did discuss him doing the voice of, of the puppet. But actually, Dan Milano uh, is the voice for Pop. And uh, Dan, Dan did a TV show called uh, Greg, the, Greg the Bunny. Ah, you get the blah. Uh, and yeah, that's one of my favorite yeah. jokes is uh, the, the the vampire who's told by the studio executives he has to say, I eat, but he doesn't know how to pronounce it. So he says, I get the <laughs> And so he goes, I get the blah. And like all the time I quote it. So, I mean, that shows a cult hit and I'm sure he gets it all the time. But that is one of my favorite TV jokes that's been kind of buried. <laughs> Even on YouTube, it's not that easy to find. I get the blah. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and Dan's great. He he's a lot of fun. He also did a show called Warren the Ape, which is a spinoff of, of Greg the Bunny. I guess uh, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. I think Warren the Ape was in Greg the Bunny, but um, anyway, I watched, I binge watched Warren the Ape, uh, yeah, Warren the Ape before I met Dan, just to get a sense of his humor. And I was like, man, I wish we could do a show. <laughs> like, I mean, because it's. It's out there. It's really out there. Right. Um, but he was really great with, with Mark. And Mark, he and Dan had actually been looking for something to do together for some time. And so this kind of came came together. And also one of the challenges of, of the show is that Mark has been since Star See, we started doing this. We started working on this show before Star Wars was even a thing. I mean, George Lucas hadn't even sold uh Lucasfilm to Disney yet. Wow. Star Wars 7 and 8 wasn't anywhere on the horizon. And then, you know, that deal happened. And then All shortly, sudden, as you yeah. know, thereafter, <laughs> you know, Star Wars 7 was happening. And then, you know, uh, Mark, Carrie, and, and Harrison were back in the picture. And it was, you know, Mark was off filming 7 when we were in our pre-production phase. And we, we had to wait. So he got back from filming seven, like we, he took one week vacation and then we started filming, uh, hit the ground running it. So it was the whole thing got put together really fast. I mean, it took forever to happen. And then once it did happen, it just all kind of was like uh, a collision course. I didn't think it was possible for me to like Mark Hamill more than I already did, you know, but because of the whole, all the things, and I, I've read those interviews with him talking about being a collector as well, but there's like two things that happen with your show. You learn about all these other collectors like Steve and like Brandon Allinger and like, you know, a lot of other people. And then you also yeah. learn about Mark Hamill because he lets in enough of himself. It's not overbearing. It's not like, what do I do? But like, you really feel yeah. connected to him in a way that I've never felt before, like through the show. Yeah. So it's it's right. an, another added aspect of it where I'm like, I mean, I thought after watching the Ice Bucket Challenge video where he's like hanging out with the kinks, I'm like, okay, he can't get cooler than this. Oh, no, he can. <laughs> you know, and it's through the show. So, yeah. that's Oh, a, yeah. And he, he uh, Mark, it, what's, what's, what's great about him is he's like a living breathing, walking encyclopedia of pop culture knowledge. I mean, if, if he doesn't know it, if, if you introduce him to some item or some factoid that he finds interesting, he latches onto it and he really wants to know as much as you know about it. 
you know, and, and, you know, I went at one point to, uh, a certain place to look at with Mark, um, for a potential, um, location. And, um, I told my daughter was with me and her boyfriend, um, and they, they were, you know, from out of town with me. And I said, just wait here. I'm going to go look at this thing with Mark real quick and then I'll be right back. So Mark and I, once we got together in this place, uh, we started talking about the, the canceled Kenner alien line from 79. Mm-hmm. And 30 minutes later, we were still talking about it because he was fascinated <laughs> by, by it and wanted to know more about it. And so we just talked. And then all of a sudden I was like, Hey, Mark, my daughter's actually out in the car. <laughs> and he goes, Oh. And, and he, and so he just came right out there with me to the car, you know, and, and met her and, and, uh, you know, had signed a comic book, a killing joke comic that she had with her and took a, you know, photo. And, and, and so, you know, it was, it, it's just the way he is. He, he actually is more interested in collectibles and pop cult culture knowledge and comic books and things like that than he is almost anything else that I, I'm aware of. Wow. Yeah. And, and the, one of my favorite things was getting to hear Mark Hamill talk about Steve's collection. Cause it's one of these things <laughs> that just like, I still can't quite process that that actually happened. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really bizarre to me, but I, I yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> one of the running jokes on our show is it that we, all, we we make fun of Steve's collection all the time because he collects the, the B-Wing pilot. <laughs> and and here's Mark Hamill himself being like, wow, that's cool. I'm like, all right, Steve, you, you officially won this joke. Sure, I think I had a call with you guys. You, you were at that stage where you were just looking for someone that had a rocket-firing Boba Fett. And yeah. I broke the news that I did not. <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I said, well, I have this other stuff. And I said that I was in Southern California. And, and then, you know, months later, Tim, I think, emailed me within a couple of days saying, hey, like, would you would you be up for doing something uh, this weekend or this day or, or whatever it was? And it's just one of those funny things. Like, I, I actually thought about this. It's like it was kind of like the 1960s Batman movie where they just had to use something that was local. So they went to Santa Barbara yeah. to film the Batman sequence on the pier. And that was me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's so well, it awesome. It worked yeah. out because you, you did uh, an excellent job of introducing us to the concept of prototypes uh, and first shots and things of that nature from your, from your collection, because <laughs> That was one thing that we actually just kind of let organically happen in the episode. Yeah, um, was to allow Mark to discover for himself what the story was, mm-hmm. and that was the whole premise of. I didn't want to be fake about it and pretend like we like we like Mark already knew all this stuff. He actually didn't know everything, and and um, we did uh, other episodes like that where. We kind of let Mark just walk into the room or meet the person for for the first time and let yeah. him kind of just discover what they're all about. And I yeah. actually thought that worked well. Um, I don't know how other people felt about it because um, – but to me, we created the stories almost like a true reality show. Like, hey, Mark, in that room over <laughs> there is this guy that has – 
hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Hollywood props. Just walk in there and we'll film it, you know. <laughs> There's very little prep. Preamble, yeah. No, it, it, yeah, it's, cause it's great because it, it comes across authentically. Like I, I remember that scene where he walks in, he's pointing in all the different corners. You can tell it wasn't cooked and right. yeah, it definitely yeah. works. You know, with the Boba Fett story, I wanted it to play like a mystery. You know, I was able to go to obviously to – um, you know, the Star Wars uh, Collector's Archive site and read the whole story. I mean, I could read it right there. It's on the website. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's, that's no fun. Like, why, why, <laughs> you know, you could just do an episode where a guy reads the article about the whole story. We, we may have done that why, before. <laughs> yes. That's sort that's of what this podcast story. is, actually, uh, Scott. That's what our show is, is just basically reading stuff from the archive and telling people, from, hey, from did you know this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, you know, and throw some jokes in there or whatever. But, yeah. you know, so we, 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 I wanted it to play out like a, a bit of a mystery. And we were fortunate that we were able to go to a Blast from the Past in yeah. Burbank. Right. And let Mark go in there and just ask them if they had one and film it. And we, that was, that, there was no prep on that. Uh, they didn't know Mark was coming. Um, we sent someone in to the shop like five minutes before Mark got there and said, okay, here's the deal. A celebrity is going to come in your store and some cameras are going to follow him. <laughs> and just if you could, if you could sign this, these papers, then we're good to go, you know? And they were like, okay. And wow. so literally Mark gets out of his car and walks in the store. And what's funny is, you know, we realized that when Mark got out of his car and the people that were strolling by on the sidewalk in front of the store stopped and turned towards him, I, I thought, we're on a timer here. Yeah. <laughs> this could get out of hand, <laughs> you know, because these people instantly recognized Mark and instantly, like, turned, like, uh, that's Mark Hamill, and started, you know, like, like, you know, he's gravity pulling them in. Right. And, you know, like, get inside, get inside the store. You know, so... We kind of hurry in the store, and the unfortunately the shop owner I forget the man's name. Um, he's a big Mark Hamill fan. He had called in sick that day, and his wife was there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so, like a nightmare that you'd have a dream about. That's so funny. Yeah, I know exactly. And his wife, like when Mark was coming in, I think his wife had like picked up the phone and was calling her husband. You know, like you won't believe it. You know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was unfortunate for him. But, you know, the, uh, the the people in the shop were game, and they made it a lot of fun. And, of course, um, the guy that was at the register, I forgot his name. I think it might be Travis. I'm not sure. Uh, the guy at the register actually had some decent info on the rocket firing set, which was cool. You know, he he knew some of the backstory. He didn't know all of the details, but he knew that it was never released. Right, uh, and we didn't script any of that. Uh, you know that it was a prototype. Um, you know, and it was like, cool. This guy fills in part of the story and allows right. us to kind of carry it forward in this real kind of way. So that was neat. Well, that, that was part of the suspense for you know a toy collector because he mm. said that somebody choked to death on the rocket, and I'm seeing they'd be like, "Gow! I hope they don't leave that. In. That's not entirely Battlestar Galactica." And so, like, <laughs> I had all this stress. Like, they're not going to pooch this, are they? And then later yeah. in the episode, David Mandel comes on and he tells the whole story accurately, actually in more detail than I've ever even heard it before. 
Um, yeah, I, mean, I think so. I, I think I learned a couple things with David too. Yeah. So that that was very exciting for me because he 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 was on the trail of knowing of saying it right, but I thought right. I can't believe they're going to do a whole show about the FET and not even say the correct information. But you did, and that's that's part of what makes it so much fun uh, is that is that journey. I mean, beyond the fact that Luke Skywalker narrates the whole thing and is the host of the whole thing, um, there's also Steve's episode, which is all about Star Wars stuff, um, but. Everywhere there's little Star Wars stuff. Like in the, yes. there's an episode yeah. about Pinball Wizard, and they talk a little bit about uh, the arcade game. Um, but a really big one is actually the interview with Brandon Allinger from yeah. the Toy Store of London, and that's somebody you know. I've I've been on panels with him before at, at Celebration, or I've introduced panels with him before. Um, but that was a great story, learning about him. Um, and then he would, of course, write the most recent Macquarie book with David Mandel. With, with David, yeah. Um, so, so that's really exciting. Um, the whole thing with uh, um, General Giant, which is you know a little bit more modern, but still kind of like how they how they make toys, and then a whole bunch of props. And then uh, there is an interview with Howard Kaz- Kazad. How do you pronounce them? Kazajian, Kazajian, Kazajian. Kazanjian. Kazanjian. yes. I know yeah. who he is. Yeah. I just can't pronounce his name. Um, but, yeah, and that it, it was... Looks, his name actually looks more difficult than it sounds. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a, a really a lot to, to see. And all the episodes are under 15 minutes or around 15 minutes. Um, so it's it's really enjoyable. Yeah, um, and Howard, you, you get the flavor of Howard. Howard appears, uh, you know, of course, in the series, and you get a little peek. Uh, into hit Howard's home, just a small peek. We didn't see everything Howard actually had. I mean, Howard has a lot of Star Wars props. That's that's uh, in Brandon's he, episode, right? The the props. Yeah, it episode. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it, Howard is part of Brandon's story. He played a small role in Brandon. You know, in Brandon becoming the, you know, the the president of the prop store L.A. Um, you know, which is a you know, spun off of the prop store London. Right. Um, right. But Brandon is kind of like, he is kind of a real world Indiana Jones of of props. I mean, he's this kid that kind of went out and started doing it, you know, with the help of his parents at a young age and then made it his career. Um, And Brandon himself, you see in the episode, he has his personal, some of his personal items are in the episode. He has a, a stormtrooper blaster and a, X-Wing pilot helmet and um, various other things. Oh, the um, what was it? The uh, the mock-up of the uh, Jabba's sail barge. Um, right, oh, yeah. right. Yeah, the wind sail. Yeah, uh, and, and so I mean, th- those are things that are in his office. I mean, that's his stuff. Um, and he's a he's a just a fun guy. I enjoyed being around Brandon. I enjoyed talking to him, on, on, you know, online too. Um, he's just he's a cool guy. He's very knowledgeable. Um, and I would love to to live in his world full time. I, I imagine he's just like a kid in a, in a candy store. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people get to go inside of the prop store, but it it is a huge warehouse full of props. I mean, it when you walk, in, they have a showroom uh, that we filmed the um, the the ship the Nostromo from Alien. We filmed that right. in the showroom. Right. And you can see in the cases around there, you can see little glimpses of some of the other props. Those are all the 
in the collection of the prop store LA. That's their permanent collection. The Nostromo's in their permanent collection uh, in that showroom. But in the back, you open this door, and I think there's some behind-the-scenes footage of that. I can't remember what was in the episode, but it's a, literally a warehouse, and every stack to the ceiling, these ceilings are, I don't know, 15 foot high of props. And, you know, it was just, it it blew my mind. And I would see, again, you walk around and you see things, you're like, oh, that's one of the gremlins, you know, (laughs) or whatever, you know, it's just just crazy. And and you knew it's the real thing because it's got all these wires and cables and stuff, you know, connected at at the bottom of it, you know, it's like the whole thing. And... I was just like, this is incredible. I don't know what it be, what would it be like to come to work here every day. Um, I'm really enamored with this Return of the Jedi uh, plastic or vinyl wallet that I have in a pencil case. Okay. For no really good reason, other than they're just weird, <laughs> right? You know, and I I, I was actually digging uh, through a box of uh, things today, and I found the wallet. And I was like, oh, there it is, you know. And I went and put it in a display case, uh, you know, because <laughs> it's I, I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's I, I like odd things that uh, I guess I've seen Star Wars figures and ships and toys over and over and over and i've bought and owned so many of them that i'm always looking for the new item like is there some dixie cups that i haven't seen yet or you know something new a poster a coke poster that i haven't seen right um you know i kind of it it, to me it's like going back in time and enjoying the experience uh, all over again. I mean, I recently was at a, a big outdoor antique festival way down in South Texas, and I walk into this tent. It's literally a tent in a field, and this guy has four of the um, Burger Chef uh, Star Wars posters, you know, the yeah. painted ones that were uh-huh, really right. cool from, from A New Hope. He has them in frames, but... You know, he, it looks like he's carried him around a long time, and they're all warped and wrinkled. And he had, I can't remember what, what the price he had on them. I was like, man, for these, these all warped, wrinkled posters? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no. And he gets in this box, and he's got, like, tubes and tubes. A whole stock. A whole stock of them. Those yeah, are just old the display copies. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I bought four of those and I, I remember having I didn't have all of them as a kid but I know I had a couple of them hanging uh, on my wall my wood paneled wall um, <laughs> as a kid and you know stuff like that to me I just I enjoy um, you know finding new and different or, or rediscovering memories I guess is the be- best way to put it Now, Steve so, sent me a, a picture of, speaking of things that haven't really been seen before, a really yeah. weird assemblage of accessories. So we're, we're going to have pictures up on, on the show, uh, on the sort of enhanced version of it. But I don't even really know, Steve, how would you describe what Scott sent us in these pictures? Because it is very singular. So it is, it is like, it's a stockpile of vintage 
like figure accessories from you know lightsabers to Ewok staffs to blasters to so I'm, I'm and then also like accompanying paperwork. So I'm we really like we don't know the whole story behind this because it's it's not like anything we've really seen before. Yeah, that was um, okay. So the the collection that I got was pretty commonplace. I mean, it, there was nothing nothing rare in it or whatever, you know, I had a, but what was nice is it had complete ships and things like that. You know, I had a complete Y-wing, complete, you know, Falcon. So I bought this collection. Everything was very well played with, well loved, but it's, it always is kind of unique when the kid managed to keep all the parts to the ships and stuff. Yeah. So that, that was probably a tell that there was something else going to, that was going to be in there. Uh, and so there were, I didn't know it was in there when I acquired it. I, I literally, there, you know, it was boxes and boxes and they were really dusty. Like they'd been in stores forever. <laughs> and, you know, it was, so it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I opened a couple boxes and said, yeah, this is good stuff. I'll, I'll take it, you know? Um, and then, so when I got it aside and started opening the boxes within the boxes, there was a, there was a shoe, there was a shoe box, a Nike shoe box inside there. And inside the shoebox, um, there was a piece of folded paper and four white boxes, and then there was another little, uh, like a jewelry box or something in there. Mm-hmm. And so I opened the piece of paper, and it, it was it said Kenner Products on the at the top, and it was a price list for replacement parts. I think um, uh, one of the uh, what's the Kenner um, baking. Uh, Thing uh, where you make the little cakes in it. Uh, you had like replacement bulbs for that. E- easy oh, bake oven. Yeah. Easy bake oven. Yeah. 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 Um, had strawberry shortcake accessory. You know accessories that you can buy. And then there's like this weird line that's like Star Wars weapon. You know weapons or something like that. One dollar. And it was it was it was it wasn't singular. It was plural. Yeah. So you know <laughs> I guess for a buck you could buy Star Wars weapons. And it was so nonspecific. It didn't say <laughs> lightsabers or blasters or anything. It just, you know, you can see from the picture, it's just sort of this weird deal. So I thought, huh, well, that is interesting. That piece of paper I thought is pretty cool. But then I opened one of the little white boxes <laughs> inside, and it's full of weapons. And I was like, what? And I literally, like, poured them out on the table immediately, like, no way. And so I then poured the rest of them out, and, and I just couldn't fathom what it was. I mean, it was, you know, there. I think, I can't remember, there's, like, maybe eight R2, uh, pop-up R2 sabers in there. Huh. Uh, six or seven of Man of Man staffs. There's one of the Ewoks line staffs, uh, six or seven of those. Uh, there's black, um, uh, Imperial blasters. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, Yoda canes, Yoda snakes, Yoda belts, uh, uh, palace blasters. Um, TIE fighter blasters. I mean, it's just all kinds of just different, you know, just in a, a wide assortment of, of weapons. And so I was like, this is amazing. I, could, I can't believe it. So this kid apparently bought 
four or five, you know, boxes of these from Kenner um, and didn't do anything with them. Uh, Kept them in the boxes. And then the other odd thing is that he had, he did a hand on notebook paper, (laughs) a hand pen in pencil drawn inventory. Inventory. Yeah. (laughs) So that was, uh, and and he drew them. He drew a picture of what the weapon looked like. In front, and some of them he didn't know what the weapon was. Like on the uh, pop-up saber, he he wrote like eight clubs, eight <laughs> green clubs. Have you, you seen know, the movie? He didn't, uh, there, yeah. Well, he there's no pop-up saber or R2 in his collection. So I mean, you know, he didn't even. But you know what's weird is the entire inventory was there. It was not spread out amongst the collection. Huh. Uh, you know, because. There was a ton of loose figures in there, and there was some weapons, but not all of them had their weapons. And he didn't he didn't take the weapons and add them to the figures. He kept them all in these boxes. And so the inventory count still ma- matches. You know, stories about prototypes are fun and everything, but this, this, this kind of, you know, I kind of wish that you'd make a show just about Star Wars collectors, you know, because I bet there's lots of, I mean, that's part of what our show is, is finding out yeah. weird finds. And I mean, we had a whole thing on with a, with some collectors who came up nearby here and they found a, they bought out a collection from a guy who used to collect tiki mugs and there's this whole story <laughs> yeah, right. Right. and, uh, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Actually that you, you made me think of, of Isaac cause Isaac Lev was one of the people who was in that find and he's the world's biggest welcome back cotter collection um so what is oh, the uh, what is your other 70s and 80s like is there one other area you really focus on for 70s and 80s stuff i i, I think my most complete collection outside of star wars is shogun warriors okay okay yeah and I, that yeah. was a mattel line um that was imported from japan uh under that banner it was never shogun warriors overseas but i got one uh, for Christmas in, I think, 77. And that was, of course, the Christmas that every kid wanted Star Wars toys, but there was none to be had. Right. Um, and so and so you got all these substitute space toys <laughs> for Christmas in 1977. You, like, I got, like, a Space 1999 Eagle from the TV show. I got a Shogun Warrior figure and, you know, some other uh, odds and ends. They're all space related, like Micronauts. Um, but you know, we all wanted Star Wars. So you know, literally, when I got Star Wars toys, you know, they did. I got them earlier than the next Christmas. They played in those ships. You know, the, my Star Wars, you know, figures took over the Space 1999 Eagle because <laughs> the, there wasn't a Millennium Falcon yet. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> it was just I, I. I remember the first ones I actually got. The first Star Wars toys ever were the card, just the original carded um, figures. I didn't get any of the ships until later. Huh. And and that's one of the things that uh, one of the earlier episodes of your show, you have a whole thing about a, a Shogun collector. But what I love is that you really feature what happened to be my favorite toy growing up, which is the, the Shogun Godzilla. Oh and, yeah, and yeah. so I, yeah. I'll, I'll share the story with you um, because I think it's pretty clear that you love that that toy too. So first of all, the only picture of me as a kid with a toy is me at five years old playing with 
uh, Shogun Godzilla with this awesome Silver Surfer poster <laughs> behind me. It's like the coolest picture of me. And then, um, <laughs> and, and we've always had it at my family's house. But the problem is the thing that sticks out the tongue on the back like broke off the the handle, so it's really hard to get the tongue to stick out. And I lost yeah. the the shooting fist probably a decade ago. Now, my dad moves down the street from me from Boston to Rochester, New York. And in the middle of the whole move, like he didn't prepare anything. Like he didn't even like pack up his clothes or his medicine. Like he, it was the biggest mess. Like it was just packing trucks filled with junk and toiletries and like old napkins. And it was just terrible. But after about a week of living there, of, of living here, he just goes in his pocket and goes, uh, Skybar, uh, I found this. And he hands me the, the shooting fist to the Godzilla toy. And, he's, and uh, I, it was so unbelievably great. I don't even think I've told the story on the show before, Steve. No, I, I've never <laughs> heard that. That is awesome. Well, it's not a Star Wars toy, so I, I, no, I haven't given myself no. license to. Um, so, and then it's amazing because the, the National Toy Hall of Fame is in Rochester. And they have two... Uh, of these Godzillas like on display and it seems like it's finally getting the respect it deserves as just the coolest toy so yeah it, it is it's, it's a great toy and um, I didn't have one my uh, neighbor uh, had one and so of course I had you know I had Dragoon the red one so we were able to you know fight the monsters or whatever but you know the thing about um, to me What's great about that period uh, of of toys is that Star Wars actually um, created this incredible explosion in science fiction and fantasy toys. I mean, suddenly you were going from like uh, Big Jim, uh, right. G.I. Joe, to all of these incredible space toys. And I love that whole period. And I know a lot of other Star Wars collectors collect uh, toys of that of that era um, as well because you didn't always get the Star Wars toy for your birthday that you wanted. You had a TIE fighter on the list and you got Buck Rogers um, <laughs> you know, ship. So be it. Okay, are you ready for the Soviet lightning round? Yep. Okay, uh, what is your favorite bad line of dialogue from any Star Wars movie? I, uh, this is, sounds like a cop out, but I don't think there's any bad dialogue in Star Wars films. I I love the Star Wars. I even love. I love. I was one of the people that have always loved Jedi and been a defender of Jedi. It's like what's 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 wrong with Jedi? Oh, like, we're, we're right there with the you. Are, oh, yeah, oh, we are right there with you. We are a hundred percent. To Both me, Je Jedi's number one. Uh, so okay, all right. So so okay. So I fa I failed that one. No no that, no that's okay. Um, so if uh, if your if the Great Colorado Fire happened and you had to grab one Star Wars item from your collection to be saved, uh, what would it be? Probably my uh, double telescoping Luke. Okay, and how about uh, any item from your collection, uh, Star Wars or not? Uh, I, I'd be tempted to grab my Rodan. Okay. So that's uh, some kind of Godzilla-related thing. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Shogun Warriors uh, Rodan figure. Okay. Um, do you have a, a Grail item that you are looking for? A Star Wars Grail item? Like, what's the one thing if if someone could help you find it, you'd be most excited to find? I really want an early bird set. I, I would love to get someday. That's that is on my bucket list of Star Wars toys. Okay. Well, maybe maybe someone's listening and will want to thank you for making a great show, and we'll contact you and give you a good deal because uh, I would hope so. Yeah, I have, I, I have some great weapons for trade. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some green clubs? Because uh, yeah, an ars- arsenal I, of green clubs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and then finally, the the last is the most existential question that we have, um, and that is. If you were an item of vintage Star Wars memorabilia, it doesn't have to be a toy, it could be any, which one would you be? I think if I could be any character, uh, I'd probably be Blue Snaggletooth, uh, only because I think he's the maybe the coolest looking of the, of the cantina denizens. But I, I personally, I love the cantina scene, uh, or the cantina playset. And I love all the characters. Right. So uh, I probably played with that set the most, um, you know, as a kid and loved all of the alien characters. Um, and so to this day, uh, there, I have a just a fondness for all of the, all of the, you know, Hammerhead and, and Greedo and, and um, the rest of them. I mean, just, I just love looking at that box art. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. So. I yeah. would love to live in that world. Yeah. Especially the, <laughs> As the a blue snaggle too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the safe toy version of that world, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because Steve is starting his own podcast about, about like, movie memories um, of people seeing Star Wars. And I'm pretty sure that most of them, if anybody is over the age of, like, 40, they're all going to say – the cantina, the cantina, the cantina, the cantina, the cantina. Because almost everybody I've ever talked to has just said, like, that was it. That's why I'm in it. That's why I love it. That was the thing. Well, thank you so much for making the show and for uh, making Steve a bigger star than he already is. And uh, uh, al- oh allowing the most modest man in the hobby to, to get a, an ego. Uh, he has to put up with mine a lot. So... <laughs> Uh, he was he was great. I, I think Stephen, you were great on camera, and, and your collection's awesome. And well, thanks, I'm glad man. it worked out. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was awesome to be a part of it. So uh, thank you, Scott. <laughs> yeah, cool. And uh, we'll we'll uh, talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, guys. All right. Sounds All right. good. Have a good night. All right. All right. That voice you hear uh, is my brother. He's running around. He's actually putting up blinds for me. I am no longer on Yehuda's couch. Uh, he fell asleep immediately after I recorded the intro. He actually fell asleep half off his couch, and then like his butt was off the air, but then his feet were on a different couch. It was quite amusing. Uh, I actually have to get ready to record episode 81. Whatever the next episode is with Steve, we're going to record here in the morning. So uh, stay tuned, Space Freaks. I hope you enjoyed this blog log pod. Uh, and Scott Kinney's great work. And seriously, at least sign up for the free trial. Watch Steve's episode. It is some of the best vintage content that has ever aired on television. No, it is the best vintage content that has ever aired on television. And 
As a matter of fact, I'm just going to include a clip from it here. This is Mark Hamill saying thank you to Steve. I'm going to play it six times in a row. That is Luke Skywalker thanking Stephen B. Danley's. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Stephen. So go check it out. All right. Oh, wait, what do I say instead of Wampa Wampa on this thing? I forget what I say. Um...